Say, uh, first of all, I want to start with a bit of an apology this week. Last sermon, um, last week's sermon, we sort of stormed through, I stormed through a challenging passage, and I probably tried to cover too much. This week, I promised to downshift just a bit. There's still a lot in this chapter, but not as many complicating variables. That said, Revelation 12 does introduce us to a giant, seven-headed, red dragon with ten horns. So, who knows? We have entitled this series on the book of Revelation, The Story of Everything. That is a phrase that Scott McKnight and Cody Matchett, who are the authors of the book Revelation for the Rest of Us, borrow from scholar C. Kevin Rowe. Rowe states that if God chose Abraham as his offspring in Genesis 12, if God raised Jesus from the dead in the Gospels, and if God made everything that has been made, then Christianity is the story of everything. McKnight says that if that is the case, then Revelation is also the story of everything because so many of its visions sum up or retell the story of God's past, God's present, and God's future with his people. Everything, everywhere, all at once. So far, I think there is no better chapter in the book of Revelation to demonstrate this reality than chapter 12. In Christopher Nolan's 2010 film Inception, in which he mind-bendingly explores the world of dreams and their power over us, the protagonist, Cobb, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, says this of dreams. He says, dreams feel real while we're in them. It's only when we wake up that we realize something was actually strange. Now, if we are those who remember our dreams, I imagine that most of us could tell the story of a dream that felt just that way, real. Until we woke up and began to think about it, and then we realized it wasn't all that real. It was a little fuzzy, right? Or that this or that person didn't belong in that context. In fact, that person may even have even changed into another person in the course of the dream. Really strange. But it felt real at the time. And then when we awoke, we might ask, why, why was my late grandmother in that dream? And what were we doing in outer space? And where did the Batmobile come from? It's not a dream I've actually had. I totally made that up. But. And as we slow, it might be, but I totally made it up. We slow, as we slowly piece it all together, we realize that the dream was telling us something about ourselves, often, not always, about our struggles, our fears, our hopes, the challenges we're facing, and it, and it does it sort of by pulling uh, from our subconscious from all over the place, things that have happened, conversations we've had, and kind of mashing them together. It's strange. Well, there's something similar going on with John's vision in Revelation 12. It's the coming together of several things in a way and in an order that does not make logical sense. The end of chapter 11, last week's passage, I didn't go this deep into the detail of it, but the angel sounds the seventh trumpet and in, in the cycle of trumpets, which heralds the coming of God's full and final kingdom. Then right at the end of the chapter, we get an interesting detail. Something new shows up. Revelation 11, verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, 
in a severe hailstorm. The, the last sentence there is uh, pretty much verbatim of what we find in the visions of the seven seals, the seven bowls of, wrath, of God's wrath as well. But in the first sentence, something shows up that we have not encountered before in the book of Revelation, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a chest that contained, among other things, the stone tablets which the Ten Commandments, on which the Ten Commandments were written. The, the presence of the Ark in the heavenly temple is a warning of judgment upon the wicked. I was very disturbed recently to find out that some people have never seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> they don't know uh, that what happened when the Nazis opened the Ark, believing that it had the power to defeat their enemies. Let's just say they were wrong. Fire goes forth like lightning and devours them all. And we all know what happens to this guy. Oh, I'm sorry. We all know what happens to this guy except Megan McClellan. <laughs> sorry for spoiling it for you, Megan. The idea for that scene comes from 1 Samuel 6, 19, where we are told that God struck down 70 people for looking into the ark, except, depending on which ancient manuscripts are translated, there are many of them out there, scholars try to pick the ones they think uh, best represent what was going on, because they don't always agree. Depending on which manuscript is translated, some of your translations will tell you that the number of people who were killed when they looked at the ark was actually 50,070. And so when the ark was opened in the movie, all the Nazis looked. But Indy and Miriam did not. It's a good thing Indy knew his Bible. The ark of the covenant is revealed in Revelation 11 to encourage the church that judgment is about to happen and all that is wrong will be made right. I don't know if you've caught it yet, but the book of Revelation is very repetitious. Enter the woman and the dragon in the dreamlike vision of Revelation 12. Verses 1 and 2. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Now, my guess is that last week's sermon, this week's sermon, and next week's sermon will be the most challenging for those of us who grew up under a certain understanding of how to read and interpret Revelation, or, honestly, those of us who were steeped in the left-behind novels and, and uh, movies. Last week was a symbolic understanding of the two witnesses of Revelation. Now, I am not simply uh, applying this symbolic understanding to it. That's the nature of apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature. It is always highly symbolic. So we read it symbolically. This week, after all, it's a symbolic, giant, red dragon with seven heads. That word sign, that word sign there in the first line there, comes from a root word that means to signify something, to symbolize something. What we are about to encounter are symbols of a bigger reality to which these signs point. There are seven, surprise, seven of these signs. And the first one is a woman. She is clothed with the sun. She stands on the moon. She wears a crown with 12 stars on her head. She is about to give birth. The sun, the moon, and the stars give us a hint as to who this woman is. 
they take us all the way back to Genesis 37, verse 9, where Joseph, he of the amazing technicolor dream coat, tells his brothers that in a dream he has seen the sun, the moon, and 11 stars all bowing down to him. The 11 stars were his brothers, the other 11 tribes of Israel, with himself being the 12th star, or the 12th tribe. Therefore, the woman symbolizes the people of Israel. The woman symbolizes the people of Israel. She is more than that, but she is not any less than that. In verse 3, we get a second sign. Before we do that, let me just set the stage a bit. John is about to do something that I did earlier in this sermon today. He will borrow from culture to demonstrate a reality. I borrowed from the films The Raiders of the Lost Ark and Inception to make, I hope, to make things a little clearer for us. In Revelation 12, John borrows imagery from his culture as well to help us see a bigger reality. Dragons, serpent-like mythical creatures, Dragons were used in the culture to express the realities of evil in an imaginative and provocative way. John is borrowing from one of these ancient myths in particular. I think there were others, but this one is important. Ancient Greco-Roman sources tell a tale of a woman named Leto. She was pregnant by the Greek god Zeus and pursued by a creature known as Python the dragon. In that story, the dragon attempted to kill her before she gave birth. But she was rescued by the north wind that carried her to an island where she was kept safe and gave birth to Apollo and Artemis. And the dragon was later killed by Apollo. Keep that myth in mind as I read John's words in Revelation 12, verses 3 through 6. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Dragons and cultures all over the world uh, represented certain ideas and forces at work in the world. In the ancient Near East, dragons were mythical creatures that symbolized chaos, disorder, and evil. The undoing of God's created order. We're going to see that in action as we get toward the end of this chapter. This is not the first time the dragon appears in Scripture. He is actually all over our Bibles once you know how to spot him. I recommend the Bible Project's video on the dragon, which I've linked in our Bible app live event. I usually show you a picture and tell you how to get it. How many of you have the Bible app on your phone or tablet? Raise your hands. If you do not have it, find one of these people after the service. They will help you get it. So John takes this myth, he twists it, he recasts it, and he remakes it to demonstrate a far bigger reality, a far deeper truth than the tale of Leto and Zeus and Python the dragon could tell. Israel, Israel, the woman about to give birth, brings forth the Messiah. Again, the woman is no less than God's people, Israel, but she is also more than that. 
This is another one of John's mashups. When we see this woman give birth to the Messiah, we are supposed to think of Mary, the mother of Jesus, yes. But we are also supposed to think of Eve and perhaps other famous women who gave birth in the Old Testament, Sarah, the mother of Isaac, Jochebed, the mother of Moses, Hannah, the mother of Samuel. The woman's character will become even more complex as the chapter progresses. This woman gives birth to a son, quote, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. That is a direct quote from Psalm 2, verse 9, and it was understood at that time as a passage that referred to the promised coming of Israel's Messiah. The baby who is giving, given birth in Revelation 12 is Jesus. The scene is not about future events. It's already happened. The child is then snatched up to God's throne. This is a truncated way of referring to Jesus' ascension. After his death and his resurrection, he is taken up to heaven in the book of Acts chapter 1. The woman fled into the wilderness where she is kept safe for 1,260 days. And again, how many years is 1,260 days? Three and a half. And once again, those three and a half years represent a time of suffering and tribulation for the church, the time in which we live as we await God's final judgment and the return of Christ. Chapter 12, like so much of the book of Revelation, tells the story of everything by seemingly jumping around in time, back and forth, like a film by Christopher Nolan. Now, when you see a Christopher Nolan film, often you must work. You must work hard to understand what in the world is actually going on. Some people hate it. Some people love it. When we read Revelation, we too must do some work. But the reward for the work is rich. The drama continues in verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. There is a lot more that we could say about this part of the passage. Um, There really is, but we need to zero in on just a couple of things. First, the giant red dragon is identified as the Satan. That's more literally how they would have said the Satan, the accuser. He is the serpent from the Garden of Eden. And this takes us even further back in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. There, the serpent has deceived Adam and Eve, and then God curses him and says to him in Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is known, in simpler terms, as the first gospel. The first good news to be found in the Bible. Genesis 3.15 encapsulates the coming of Christ, the offspring of the woman, his death, his resurrection, and the ultimate defeat of the serpent. In Romans 16, 19, and 20, the Apostle Paul echoes uh, Genesis 3 when he promises that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. It's difficult not to dance when I say that, but I'm not going to. You're welcome. The war that takes place in heaven between Michael and his angels and the dragon and his angels has already taken place. The dragon, Satan, was defeated 
when Jesus died and rose again. This victory is then celebrated in heaven, verses 10 through 12. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. One more slide. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. How do the brothers and sisters defeat Satan? By their faith in Christ, his death, and his resurrection, and by loving him even to the point of dying for him. This is another call to the persecuted church to endure, to remain faithful, and not to give in to the lies and the deception of the empire, whom we will get to know a bit more next week in chapter 13. <clears throat> what matters for us today is that even though the dragon has been defeated, he doesn't plan on going out quietly. He is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. And he wants to make a mess of things. The house that <clears throat> Kim and I live in now was built in 1997, and I don't know all the history, but we think that we are the third family to live in that house. The first family, we have heard, couldn't make the payments, uh, so eventually the bank foreclosed on the house. But that family did not go quietly. We don't know the extent of the damage they did to the house before they moved out, but one of our neighbors tells us they did quite a number on it. The one remaining sign of this damage is that there's a dent in our front door that the new owners decided was too much trouble, too much money to fix, so they just left it. Like the dragon, those whose home had been foreclosed were filled with fury because they knew their time was short. And they made a mess of things before Judgment Day. This is how the dragon behaves even today. Maybe, maybe you and I want to say, you know what? His time isn't quite as short as we'd hoped. I mean, Revelation was written 1,900 years ago. It was taken so long. I imagine John's first readers and others who have read Revelation down through the centuries would say the same. The dragon's time has not been shortened enough. The reality, however, is that Martin Luther was right when he wrote the verse from the hymn we sang earlier. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. I gotta think he got this right out of Revelation 12, except he hated the book of Revelation, so I don't know exactly what to do with that. But there it is. And the word that shall fell Satan, the devil, the dragon, is the word made flesh. Jesus the child to whom the woman gives birth in Revelation 12. Verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman. We didn't have this read earlier, just for the sake of time, so this is new material. 
When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Those eagle's wings that carried the woman to safety call to mind God's words to Israel when he rescued them from Egypt. In Exodus 19, 14, God says to them, you yourselves have seen how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. As God did with Israel, so he will do with the church. While we may suffer here and now, in the end, ultimately, we will be protected. The church will survive. And how long will she, will we be in the wilderness? A time, times, and half a time. Three and a half years, once again. These are the times in which we live and await Christ's return. Verses 15 and 16. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening up its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. This image calls to mind the chaotic world of Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The dragon tries to take things all the way back to the chaos of Genesis 1, verse 2. He tries to destroy the woman by decreating the world, submerging it once again under chaotic waters, we could say. But the earth opens up and swallows the river. This is a picture of new creation. Just as the land emerged from the watery chaos on the third day of creation in Genesis 1, so it does again. Creation, the earth, in full cooperation with God, moves things toward God's purposes and God's ultimate victory, and the woman is safe, and we are safe too. The final verse of the chapter, we read yet another call to endure, verse 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman. He just gets madder and madder. The dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage a war against the rest of her offspring. That's us. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Early in chapter 12, the woman represented Israel giving birth to the Messiah. Now she is our mother too. We who keep God's commands and hold fast to our faith in Jesus, we are her children. And although the dragon still pursues us, pursues us he knows his time is short. And we know that ultimately we are protected by God. It doesn't mean... We won't have to suffer now. It means that our suffering, even our deaths, is not the end of the story. In the story of everything, death does not have the last word. If we look at the sweep of God's history with his people and God's plan of salvation that begins to show up as early as Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, Revelation 12 really is everything, everywhere, all at once. And it is all there to encourage us in one enduring hope. We have already one we have already won so i want to invite you to hold in prayer before god as we close this morning just hold in prayer your own suffering your own loss your own circumstances whatever it might be and those of your loved ones
And I want to invite you to hold in your heart and mind the sorrow and suffering of the people of the world, those near and far, known and unknown by you. I get these texts. Um, I started this years ago. I get these texts from the police department, whatever something happens, just to know. Mostly it's about weather and wrecks and that sort of thing. But occasionally I get one about someone who's gone missing. I got one of those last night. 14-year-old girl. So what do I do? I don't know her. I stop and offer a prayer that she'll be found. She was found. This is how we pray for those we don't even know. This is how we deal with the suffering that we face even now. The last verse of Luther's A Mighty Fortress is Our God continues this thought of one little word that will crush Satan underneath our feet. The last verse both acknowledges the suffering and the trials that we still face in this life, and it reminds us of the timeless truth that the dragon has already been defeated. And his time is growing shorter every single day. I'm going to read this to you, and we're going to go to a time of prayer as we close. Again, the word we're referring to is the name of Jesus. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Would you pray with me? God, we take our own suffering. We take the suffering of our loved ones. We take the suffering we see and encounter in the world, in our news feeds, people we know and don't know, people who live far away and people who live across the street. We lay their suffering and our suffering before your feet. We cling to the promise that this is not all there is and that in fact we have already won. We cling to the hope that the enemy's time is short. And we pray, Lord God, for the faith and for the patient endurance we need to continue to live well and to live strongly in the face of all that would come our way. We pray that our lives, that this, that this congregation and its ministry would be honoring to you, faithful to you. And we pray, God, that we would learn to live bit by bit, Lord, in the reality of the victory that has been won. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.